Welcome to Crypto Podcast Goods, the audio home for Club CPG. This week, Rebecca Lamis, co-founder of UnicornDAO and head of partnerships at PlayLayer, joined Mikey Pirro for a double-stuffed episode all about DAOs. This is a masterclass on everything you need to know about decentralized autonomous organizations. As a reminder, the hosts of CPG, POP, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are of the hosts and guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be treated as investment advice, and all content from our Genius Calls is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Now let's get to that Genius Call. GM, GM, we are back with another Genius Call. Who we have is really special today. I have been excited to have a DAO talk for a long time, and we have a banger of a guest. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Rebecca Lamis, who is the co-founder of Unicorn DAO. You may have heard of that one. She's also the head of partnerships at the mixed reality startup PlayLayer, and she previously worked on Quantum, who we also had a special partnership and event in Santa Monica not too long ago. She's an active DAO organizer and advisor, which is why we would love to have her speak here. And she's been in Web3 since 2018 with a focus on making the industry and its opportunities more accessible. So, Rebecca, welcome to the Genius Call. It is great to have you. How's everything down in L.A.? Great. Nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Can't complain in LA. The cold front finally stopped. We had some snow and hail, which was nuts last week. So nice to get that California sunshine again. I'm excited to chat with you guys farther about Dallas. Indeed. When we first met uh, many months ago and started exploring the idea of this genius call, I mean, it was a totally different time. And so I think this is actually the perfect timing to do this call. Do you have a bunch of slides? I'm going to help tee them up and cue them up. And then as we go through it, uh, when we get to the end, we'll have a whole bunch of questions that we've sourced from our community, which I think are fascinating and interesting. With that, Becca, please take it away. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, today I will be talking about all things DAOs and really everything you might want to know about them. Uh, So just kind of before I jump in a little bit more about who I am specifically, um, as mentioned, I've been in the space since 2018. Uh, I do a lot of work as a consultant. I also am personally a grassroots organizer. And so that was how I got started in this space is a lot of kind of my nonprofit co-op work is very similar to what DAOs look like. So I'll definitely share a bit more about that when we jump in. Um, from projects that I've worked on, most notably, I'm a co-founder with U- of Unicorn DAO with Pussy Riot. Um, Unicorn DAO, we have um, some more information later on on that, but it is a organization that focuses on supporting women and LGBTQ plus members within the Web3 space uh, by investing and collecting their work and their startups. Uh, in addition to that, I've worked at other organizations known as Quantum Art, Stit City DAO, the first DAO in Tezos, which was called Staker DAO, um, one of the first DAOs at uh, the uh, Harmony 
incubator DAO, and then Ukraine DAO, uh, which maybe most notably raised $7 million for the Ukraine community when the war started last year. Um, And before we kind of move off of this, uh, a quote I have on the slide that I think really kind of represents my mindset in this space is, if it is inaccessible, it is neither radical or revolutionary. Now, the way that I kind of think about that is there are so many opportunities coming out of the Web3 ecosystem now, as we all know. You know, it is very clear that this technology is going to change the entire landscape of almost every industry. But unfortunately, it has been extremely gatekept over, you know, the last 10 years. And so my big priority in this space is how can we break down those barriers to entry to really allow Web3 to be for everyone, as we say it. And so in this quote, if it is inaccessible, it is neither radical or revolutionary. You know, no matter how revolutionary this um, technology is, if the majority of the world can't access it or utilize it, what's the point at the end of the day? Uh, So that's really kind of my mindset when I go into the Web3 space is how to make it more equitable and really use real world scenarios of um, how we can utilize crypto farther in this ecosystem. So moving on from that, um, you know, first I'm going to kind of do big picture. What is a DAO? There's a lot of words on this slide. Um, On a lot of these slides, we have quite a bit of content in general. The reason being is I find that a lot of folks after these presentations want to look at the deck again. So I like to provide more information than not. I'll definitely go through it. So don't feel like you need to read it all quickly. Uh, So first and foremost, for those that might not be familiar, a DAO stands for a Decentralized Autonomous Organization. At its core, what that means is it's utilizing smart contracts on the blockchain technology to essentially develop a digital organization. And at its core, DAOs do what we call operate autonomously, apologize, (laughs) autonomously, which means essentially there is no central place of control within the organization. So you can think about the corporate world today as a very much top-down structure, right? You know, you have your general employees, you have your execs, you have your CEO, whatever the CEO traditionally says goes, and then that kind of feeds down the different levels within the organization. What's really beautiful about DAOs is it kind of takes away that concept of a top-down structure and really works as a collective. So the goal of a DAO is to not only be operated autonomously, but to be operated by the collective, the community of the DAO. How it's organized as a collective depends from DAO to DAO. That's really at its core. Now, because we are using blockchain technology, DAOs traditionally organize governance via tokens. So whether that's NFTs or a crypto token themselves, a currency, that's traditionally how we see DAOs organizing their governance. And I'll get into it a little farther on the different models of DAOs and the different kind of tokenomics behind them. But kind of big picture, DAOs are run by a collective. It is run autonomously. And there is a token that allows the governance to decide kind of what happens. And so, you know, the reason people find that they like DAOs beyond the traditional, you know, collective decision making is because it all because everything of this organization happens on chain. You know, we see, I would say, uh, much more. uh, What's the word I would use? I would say 
you know, transparency is the right word. You know, you see a lot more transparency, trust, and as I said, kind of community-driven decision-making rather than the traditional, you know, CEO deciding kind of behind closed doors what happens. Anything that happens within the organization is now out there and the collective can see where the funds are going, where the votes are going, et cetera. So that's a lot of information. You know, no worries if uh, none of that clicked or only some of it. I'm really going to go into each of these topics slide by slide. But I first just kind of wanted to start with the big picture of what a DAO is. So the first kind of the next slide that I want to jump into is specifically the philosophy behind DAOs. So what is decentralized governance? Decentralized governance is truly the core philosophy that is driving DAOs and their models. So decentralized governance is a model of governance where decision-making power and authority are distributed across a network of individuals rather than being concentrated in the hands of a central authority. So that goes back to what I was saying, you know, the top-down structure. It's not a CEO at top that's making the decision anymore. The philosophy of a DAO is that the community is governing. It is distributed across whatever this network may be of a DAO. Now, you know, moving into that direction, as a result, the decision-making power is shared among the members of the network and decisions are made through a consensus building process that involves active participation and input from all members. This might be tokenomics, for example. You know, this is often how governance is utilized within the DAO to make these decisions. And what's phenomenal about this model is as decisions are made through a consensus building process or a specific protocol, um, it involves active participation and input from all members of the organization. This allows for greater transparency, accountability, and really trust in the decision-making process of all that all members have an equal say and are able to contribute to a formation of policies and rules that govern the network. Um, so I know that's kind of a big chunk of text to wrap your head around, um, but I definitely want to keep building on it. So, you know, first, this core philosophy is decentralized governance. You know, the community as a collective is deciding what happens you know, the next kind of philosophy of that is the blockchain technology and the cryptocurrency aspect. You know, DAOs could not be run without it being on chain. A DAO that is not on chain is very similar to a cooperative, to be honest. You know, cooperatives, for those that may not be familiar, are a pretty popular organizational model within the U.S. It's kind of this concept of a community that works or uh, utilizes the co-op organization gets to vote and decide the goals of the cooperative. And then hypothetically, any profits that are made within the cooperative are then redistributed to the members. So that kind of philosophy is very similar to DAOs themselves. But the key difference here is that because it is decentralized governance, it runs on blockchain technology and really utilizes the best of these decentralized networks to validate transactions and maintain a secure and transparent ledger of the activities of this co of this decentralized organization. Now, however, the concept of decentralized governance 
can also be applied to other or other areas such as social and political organizations, businesses, communities, really anywhere that can enable more democratic and participatory decision-making processes. So kind of big picture, quite a few words, but those are kind of the core, I would say, goals and philosophy behind how DAOs are run. And, you know, on the right, I kind of labeled six points that I really think are kind of the key items that make a DAO a DAO. So first, decentralization, we've gone into that. Second, transparency, because it's on chain, we see all of the governance, we see where funds are flowing. You know, it is very clear to the organization, to the community, how this DAO is operating. In addition to that community governance, as we discussed, it is what makes the DAO run. DAOs are designed to be governed by the organization and voting is typically done on a one member uh, one vote basis. Now we'll get into that a little bit more. There are other models of voting, but that is really one of the core philosophies. Now, one of the things we haven't touched on as much is autonomy. So this is really interesting because DAOs, as the A stands for, are autonomous organizations that hypothetically should operate on their own. So all of these protocols should be built within a DAO to really make it operate and run properly, right? Well, what's really unique right now is because we are at the very beginning stages of DAOs, truly, you know, there are a lot of protocols and developmental aspects of DAOs that haven't necessarily been implemented yet. So as a result, in the ideal dream world, DAOs are fully autonomous, right? We code it in a way that AI meets the autonomous vessel of blockchain to allow us as a community to vote on XYZ happening, and then the protocols make it happen, right? The funds get sent to XYZ, which trigger the creation of this next protocol, et cetera. Now we are in such baby phases that we don't see that level of autonomous um, aspects of the DAO organizations happening quite yet, but we will definitely see the autonomy continue to grow as DAOs scale. Now, the next aspect that I put up here is the cryptocurrency token aspect. Um, this should be pretty clear by now that the core vessel that allows DAOs traditionally to vote from a governance perspective has something to do with the tokens, whether that's an NFT collection or a currency or some other form of token. Um, next up here, I put down the larger just kind of purpose of DAOs, it can really vary from organization to organization. So what you see as well as a very kind of core philosophy of DAOs is just experimentation at large. You know, we are in such a new, new, new industry, a whole new generation of organizations are really going to launch soon. Um, and so it's so important for us to be experimenting with this technology and the legal and regulatory statuses based on the jurisdiction. Um, so that is kind of, I would say, the core principles, philosophies behind DAOs. And I'll definitely dive in to a bit more of how these philosophies of DAOs in practice look and some kind of use cases, real world scenarios. Um, but before I jump into that, I want to touch on the next slide, which is the history of DAOs. So what's really unique is not a lot of folks know kind of how DAOs started 
Or for those of us that are new in this space, really came with the NFT boom, you may not be familiar with one of the most notable hacks in Ethereum history, blockchain history, which was called the DAO hack of 2016. Um, so before I get into that, let me kind of lead you up to how we got there. So, you know, blockchain, cryptocurrency, it really started to scale back in 2013 with the creation of Bitcoin, the creation of the Ethereum mainnet, etc. And, you know, pretty quickly, the concept of a DAO was created. Uh, it really first started to get socialized back in 2013. From 2013 to 2016, because this, you know, whole community network was very new, we saw a lot of papers come out, a lot of kind of theoretical, um, very lengthy scholarly papers of, you know, how DAOs could be implemented to create a more equitable society that allows the collective to decide where the organization goes, what the organization does with its profits, rather than the traditional corporate centralized top-down structure. And then came along one of the first use cases, and it was called the DAO. Um, the DAO was launched on the Ethereum blockchain uh, back in 2017, 2016, and it raised over $150 million from thousands of investors. The goal of the DAO was to essentially act as an Ethereum incubator of sorts. And they raised a big chunk of capital. They then distributed tokens to anyone that put in capital to the DAO. Um, and then you could use these tokens to kind of vote on what projects you wanted to fund to invest um, for this DAO incubator of sorts to then help launch. So it became a really wonderful way at the beginning of Ethereum to crowdsource thousands of projects to Ethereum because now there was this gigantic pot of funds, honestly, that was being allocated to up and coming um, Ethereum based startups. This was very new for its time. This was a huge deal. And it worked great. It worked great for a couple months. It was really the first proof of concept of DAOs. It made a lot of I made it, it was a huge press push, I would say globally. Uh, because really, it was one of the first like real world use cases of how you can utilize the best of this technology to now redistribute funds in a more equitable manner and really help invest in the future of Ethereum. Unfortunately, though, as all that were part of this ecosystem know in 2016 is a couple months into the launch of the DAO, it had a hack and it was really, really tragic for the ecosystem. It lost over 50 million. I think it was closer to 60 million um, as a result of this hack that was taken right out of the Dow, as they called it. And so when this occurred, you know, this notorious hack now, the Dow hack of 2016 is really how people refer to it. It scared everyone. Right. This was one of the first DAOs that we could see. We saw it as, you know, a really applicable use case of how to channel funds, et cetera. And then it got hacked. And realistically, the biggest concerns of DAOs at the time, which are still very prevalent today, was the security around DAOs. And I'll definitely chat a bit more about some of the biggest pros and cons of DAOs at large, especially in today. 
But for the history of DAOs, for you guys to understand, you know, the DAO was one of the first DAOs, right? That's why it was called the DAO. And so for thousands of people to be interacting with this DAO, to then be hacked, it was clear to the community that DAOs were not in a place to be secure. Now, whether or not that was true is really interesting because this DAO is still one of the largest DAOs to operate um, to date. You know, we have seen very few other DAOs properly launch and onboard that much capital and that many people um, yet. And part of the reason why is because it was too risky to have that many people and that much funds in a secured network. Could we do it today? Probably. But at the time, you know, the tech was just not quite there to have this run securely. And after the DAO was hacked, you know, it led to a big market crash. It was part of the reason that we went into another bear coming into the 2017 era. One quick question for clarification, because yeah. uh, I can't recall in listening to Vitalik, was this any software bug that was exploited or was it a governance yeah. protocol that was exploited? So I need to triple check, but I'm pretty sure it was a governance protocol that was exploited, which was part of the reason in concern to the um, use case of DAOs as a whole and the scalability of them. And, you know, we'll, a lot of, we'll get into SEC regulation as well, but a lot of the SEC regulation that has come up now, it really started in 2017, was a direct result of the DAO. You know, it was too difficult for them to control and manage um, and run properly. Uh, without it being hacked, as we saw. And what's really interesting there is a lot of the cons associated to DAOs now are a result of the SEC regulation that is very, I would say, uh, timid that we'll go through it. But a lot of the DAO models now, you know, only allow 100 members max. And it's for this reason that, you know, the governance was not in a place that it got exploited. And now, the SEC kind of looks back at this and is a lot more cautious and strict with the regulation that they have put out there. Whether or not it's true, you know, I still, there is 100% a world where DAOs have thousands of people again and control this much money. It's just going to take us a couple of years, one, to gain the trust of the community again, and two, to feel that we are in a technological place where we can actually control that um, and ensure that an exploitation of this nature does not occur again. And so kind of wrapping on this, you know, if anyone ever refers to the DAO hack, this is what it is. Um, and so, you know, as a result, we didn't really see DAOs get launched again until 2019. You know, people kind of just pushed it out. You know, we were like, all right, DAOs don't work. They're not secure, even though there's so many pros and benefits. Um, theoretically, we're not in a place to securely launch DAOs. And so not many DAOs were launched for a couple of years. There were still a handful, but for the most part, we just didn't see them. Really, 2016 to 2019 was the time to both rebuild the market and also grow DeFi protocols. 
Do you think that the legislation in Wyoming that you have listed there was a helpful catalyst for it? And, and in your mind, what was the significance of that piece of legislation? Yeah, a hundred percent. So as I kind of mentioned, you know, the next step into the growth of DAOs was this DAO legislation that was passed in Wyoming. And to kind of give some context, the community behind this DAO legislation were some of the kind of OG Ethereum guys. A lot of them worked at consensus. A lot of them were at the very beginning. They knew what DAOs could do. They understood kind of the long-term potential and opportunities of DAOs even after the DAO hack, right? And so a lot of them came together. And one of the people that I always love to shout out if you're looking to kind of learn more about DAOs, one of the OG DAO kings, his name's Aaron Wright. Uh, He is the founder of an organization called Tribute Labs. I actually have them as an example later. But most notably, it's almost—it's basically a protocol and a team that helps launch DAOs. And they've done Flamingo DAO, which a lot of you may be familiar with. They launched Unicorn DAO, which is one of the organizations I co-founded, etc. I'll get into that in a bit. But Aaron's a lawyer, um, a professor, and him and a core group of teams started working with Wyoming City Council to now... Uh, pass this legislation that allows us to legally incorporate DAOs within the U.S. Because it was very clear to them, and I completely agree, for DAOs to be able to grow, it has to be legal. It realistically has to be legally done by the books for us to be able to move um, in any direction uh, forward. And so with Wyoming, we really saw a very, very basic like version zero of Dow legislation. And what it essentially allowed was the kind of Dow incorporation of equivalent of an LLC. So Dow's, you know, it is this kind of concept, decentralized governance, et cetera. But the model itself that is used for a Dow it varies from DAO to DAO, right? Every corporation has a different model from the top-down structure that they are implementing to successfully you know, launch whatever their product or business may be. So DAOs are the same way. So this legislative piece allowed DAOs to incorporate legally under the state of Wyoming um, and have 100-person DAO members. The reason why they capped it at 100 members is from a kind of security perspective. And, you know, a big, we'll get into SEC as well in a bit and their specific kind of policies, what they allow, what they don't allow. But the very basic version, the first legislative piece was, okay, you can start a DAO uh, with 100 members. It is called a DAO LLC. Um, and you have to follow XYZ. You know, we'll get into those pieces in a bit. Uh, But now in 2018, you can legally do it. And that was a huge, huge opportunity for the larger DAO community to start to get DAOs moving again. And so Aaron Wright, who was one of the, you know, key lawyers and a part of this uh, project, he then launched what was called Tribute Labs, which was this kind of not quite an incubator, but organization to launch these hundred member DAOs. And so it was really kind of the first step in the right direction 
for DAOs and why Wyoming, you might ask. So Wyoming is actually, before Delaware, it was known to be the state that passed the most progressive policy from a corporation standpoint. So it was the first state to allow um, unions to exist back in 20, back in the 1800s, you know, so they were kind of when they got pitched by this community to pass down legislation, they saw it as an opportunity to bring more income naturally to their state and really set them apart from other states as leading this forefront of this whole new ecosystem. And then quickly following Wyoming, Delaware did pass a very similar piece of legislation. And since then, we have started to see other states start to pass different aspects of DAO legislation in addition to general blockchain and Web3 legislation. Um, And so I'll definitely kind of get into more on the different legal classifications of DAOs in a bit and the way you can incorporate and what that allows you to do and not do. Um, But this is kind of big picture history of the DAOs. Um, So moving on to the next slide. We've gone through a lot of this, so I won't spend too much time, Um, but here are kind of the key DAO benefits, I would say, that you see in our ecosystem today. So first and foremost, operates through smart contracts on chain. You know, we don't really see any other organizational structures utilizing um, this tech quite the way a DAO does. You know, DAOs are decentralized, as we've discussed. They are not controlled by a single entity, but rather a network of stakeholders. And that's really kind of the most, in my opinion, powerful component of DAOs is we've never had the tool sets to collectively organize and run a a operation fully on chain fully using the best of what tech offers today. In addition to that, as we said, is as smart as smart contracts, as blockchain continues to grow and scale, we are going to be able to automate all decision making, which is a huge, huge, huge perk from a long term perspective. It saves a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of people, a lot of resources. And this is why a lot of people believe most organizations in the future will be DAOs. You know, if the People at top are willing to allow there to be collective decision making of some nature. It just streamlines the uh, product and the organization at a much quicker rate. In addition to that, DAOs offer greater transparency, accountability. As we discussed, uh, participation in governance um, is just way, way superior compared to traditional organizations. Um, And then finally, DAOs can really be used in any industry. You know, no one DAO fits all. And especially in these beginning stages, we're going to see lots of different forms of DAOs and organizational models of DAOs. But like I said, at its core, it is this thought process of collective decision making, utilizing blockchain. And that can almost be applied to any industry. It's just a question of do we have the resources to make it happen today versus five years from now versus 10 years from now. And then finally, you know, DAOs have the potential to fundamentally change how all organizations operate, how decisions are made, offer they offer greater efficiency, and it offers superior security and trust when operated at its kind of 
core thesis and its core potential. Like I said, you know, from the security perspective, um, it's a lot rockier today than it will be five years from now, obviously, but it's a lot better today than it was five years ago. So I really like to think like of DAOs as the next kind of book of the American corporate system. And we are really in like chapter zero. You know, we are in the very, very, very beginning stages. So I definitely, you know, encourage folks who are thinking about launching DAOs. I'm all for it. It's just about making sure you feel there are resources in place to help you launch that DAO right now. And we'll get more into that in a bit. So now I wanna jump into some DAO use cases on DAOs that you guys may be familiar with um, that I can kind of explain how they operate, how they compare to each other um, and the different models they are using. Um, And as I've mentioned, you know, after I go through these use cases, I will talk a little bit more about the legal structures and the larger challenges we face. Um, But first, I want to kind of paint a picture for you guys on how a couple of these DAOs operate. Um, so the first one I like to always use, as I mentioned, is Flamingo DAO. Um, you know, I'm sure there are some Flamingo members that are part of the Pop CPG crew. Um, and Flamingo DAO was started by Aaron Wright. Um, Tribute Labs, like I said, I definitely encourage you to look them up if you're thinking about starting a DAO. They have really become the superior organization in my point of view of launching what we call collector DAOs. So in legislation today, one of the easiest DAOs that you can legally incorporate is this 100-person DAO LLC. And most of these kind of organizations that incorporate this way act as what we call a collector DAO. A collector DAO is this thought process that a bunch of members come together, they pool their funds as a collective, to then collect in whatever their thesis may be behind the organization. So Flamingo Dow, for example, launched in, I think it was 2020. I want to say the summer of 2020, might've been 2021. Um, But right before the first NFT bull, really, like when NFTs were just starting, you know, they kind of had this thesis that NFTs, and they were completely right, were going to completely take off from both a digital art standpoint and a collectible standpoint. So they decided to do, I believe it was a 25 ETH buy-in at the time, 25 or 50 ETH buy-in, and they could accept up to 100 members. And so I think at the beginning, about 20 individuals joined Flamingo Dow. They all put in this capital. And then they had a governance protocol that essentially allowed the community to put up proposals on, I think we should put 200 ETH into CryptoPunks. Let's buy the 10 punks that are at the floor. So then they go use their um, capital to purchase those punks. Um, And now those NFTs are collectively shared among all the members. So any, I would say, return on investment based off of how these NFTs increase in their worth and value is all collectively shared. And so what was really kind of beautiful with Flamingo Dow is these members figured out, you know, where NFTs were going before they even went there. Right. And so they were able to collect 
thousands and thousands and thousands truly of NFTs before the NFT bull even happened because they all believed in it so deeply and they felt they knew where the NFT market was going, that they knew which NFTs to purchase, right? So the initial buy-in was about $25,000 at the time, whatever that equivalent was in ETH. Now today, the value, or I guess the peak of the last bull, the value of one seat to buy in was $10 million. So as you can see, in a span of about two years, their return of investment is quite insane. Now, what's important to note is that these collector DAOs you know, I use the word investment, but technically they're not investors. Technically it is community members that are collecting these NFTs because they appreciate them, believe in the value of them, um, and, you know, want to collectively own them. Now, if I, for say, I was a, you know, Flamingo Down member, I was like, wow, our NFTs have increased in value so much. My seat is now worth 10 million. Hypothetically, I at that time could be like, okay, I want out. I want to trade in my Flamingo Dow tokens and my governance tokens for my 10 million equivalent. And that's how you would then exit the Dow. So you're not technically investor, rather you're a member that's now leaving the Dow and you get your share. And so that's kind of how these Flamingo, how Flamingo Dow or collector Dows work, right? It's a collective community they pull their capital, and then they choose to go and invest in different companies' projects. The Lao, which you may be familiar with, which also falls under the Tribute Labs um, ecosystem, does the exact same thing as Flamingo Dow, but rather than focusing on NFTs, they focus on Web3 companies, right? So they had 20, 30 members come together, pull their capital, and now go and invest in different organizations. You know, collector DAOs can almost be considered as the next version of venture capital. You know, it's a very, very similar model. It just requires those that are putting their capital in to um, act more in a governance way. They have more decision-making than, you know, a traditional venture capital firm, which, you know, you have your hired VCs that then go and spend the money however they see fit. So I really love the collector DAO model and Unicorn DAO um, is an example of these, uh, one of these models and I'll jump into it in a bit. So that's kind of the first example and collector DAOs are really easy to incorporate. As I said, you know, if you have a kind of idea of this sense that can be under a hundred members, you all want to put your resources and capital to a specific idea and invest in it. Um, you know, a collector DAO is definitely the one for you. The next example I want to use is Ukraine DAO. Uh, so some of you may be familiar with Ukraine DAO. Um, this was actually launched um, by Pussy Riot and a team of us at Unicorn DAO, along with the larger public and community that is involved in the Ukraine um, ecosystem. And so, as we know, you know, war started about a year ago within Ukraine. Uh, Nadia at the time. Uh, my co-founder and one of the co-founders of Pussy Riot, you know, she uh, immediately was like, how can I utilize the larger, you know, Web3 ecosystem to collect funds to send to the community in Ukraine? So this is a really great example of a real world use case on how can you utilize blockchain technology and DAOs 
to now support a cause that is really in need of our help. So the thought process for Ukraine Dow was Nadia gathered together a team, I would say there's probably 20 to 30 of us of just people she knew in the Web3 ecosystem who cared a lot about what was happening in Ukraine and was ready to essentially support them, make it happen and figure out a way to raise funds to send to them. So the idea that kind of came about of that was, okay, let's put up a, um, a, a mint of the Ukrainian flag. Anybody that contributes to this mint, you know, it was an open edition. Uh, you could mint as many as you wanted. You could put in as much ETH as you wanted. Um, you know, the thought process we were very clear is this Ukrainian NFT flag is not supposed to increase in value. It just resembles and symbolizes your donation to Ukraine, right? And so the DAO component was not necessarily the community members that were putting funds into Ukraine DAO. The DAO component then became the 20 to 30 community members that were collectively organizing all of this, right? So we were the ones that were deciding kind of the governance of Ukraine DAO, where the funds went. We set up the wallet, you know, making sure everything was very transparent to those that donated to Ukraine DAO, et cetera. Um, but we weren't necessarily taking opinions from the larger community at the time when we launched. The reason being, and this was completely right of Nadia, was she was like, we need to act quickly. We don't have time to decide as a collective what we're going to do. You know, if the Ukraine DAO wants to do other forms of raising funds, which they completely do now, you know, they can decide that as a collective after we do this first. But first, this community is going to raise funds by using blockchain technology in this way. And then we're going to, you know, have it all happen on chain. So it's super transparent to the community, then where those funds are going and how we're distributing the resources we've obtained. And at the time, I believe Ukraine DAO, forget the final number, but raised close to like 7 million. It was really, really crazy to watch it happen in about the span of a week. And this was really kind of right at the beginning of the war, but it was a really, really beautiful and one of the first, in my opinion, real world use cases of how you can organize so quickly on Web3 and blockchain to help support and send funds to other community members that doesn't necessarily take the bank, you know, waiting 10 days to send the funds over and things of that nature, you know, all of these middlemen processes that exist in trip, typical corporate America, you know, these were all bypassed because we were able to just take funds by individuals purchasing NFTs and then directly send it to Ukrainian community members to then distribute out among Ukraine. And this was just, I think, a really kind of beautiful example of the ways that nonprofit type efforts can happen within this ecosystem utilizing DAOs. And, you know, one of the things that Ukraine DAO ended up doing, and Unicorn DAO does this now too, is we now have nonprofit partners. So even though we're not incorporated as a nonprofit, by having that nonprofit counterpart, essentially we can raise funds and still get the tax deduction 
if it's necessary for whatever reason for big companies or big investors, donors, et cetera. Um, so that was a really, really wonderful way um, to see an activation like that happen. And it's important to note here that there has been no legislation passed that allows for a nonprofit DAO to exist yet. You know, I think the biggest use cases of DAOs are taking the nonprofit model, the cooperative model, the union model, these kind of collective community run organizations and implementing, you know, tokenomics, implementing, um, you know, blockchain into how they operate to really streamline the process, allow it to scale. But none of these legally exist yet from an a DAO legislative standpoint. And that's something that I think in the next five years, once that happens, we're going to kind of see a world of opportunities start to grow because there are just so many obvious use cases for DAOs from a kind of nonprofit standpoint. But for now, we are stuck with partnering with already existing nonprofits. Um, So the next kind of DAO model that I want to use is the LLC community DAO model. So this is different than collect the, you know, we talked about Wyoming, we talked about Delaware, how you can incorporate an LLC DAO, right? A really common model that we're seeing from community DAOs, like Friends with Benefits, right? They have more than 100 members. They have a bunch of community members that are doing various things as a collective, whether it's, you know, social engagements, whether it's investments, whether it's help launching projects, et cetera. You know, there are obviously organizations that do not necessarily fit this 100-person LLC collector model. So what we're seeing these DAOs start to do is to incorporate as just a traditional LLC and then have the kind of top function of the LLC be a DAO. Now, here are the biggest cons of this is nowhere from a legislative standpoint or an incorporation standpoint does it say that the organization must decide things as a collective, right? So it's not written into the incorporation paperwork. It's not written into, you know, the the traditional kind of structure and model of DAOs. You know, you have to incorporate it just like any other LLC. But what I would say, and Friends with Benefits is a great example, is when they incorporated, you know, there's no legislation that allows us to run the DAO like we want to run it today. So we're just going to incorporate it as an LLC And once the legislation gets there, then we're going to move from a traditional LLC to a true DAO co-op LLC model that fits them. So that's what I really like to kind of put out there for folks that are like, "Mm, this 100 member DAO model maybe doesn't work for me. These other legislative models don't work great. Remember that it's okay to just incorporate as an LLC and have your top layer be a DAO and just the operational you know, how you run your organization from a day-to-day standpoint. You have to be very transparent with your community that that's what's happening because from a, as I said, legal standpoint, you can't hold, let's say, the ones in charge accountable as a collective. Rather, individuals are now held accountable just like in a traditional LLC. But as long as you're kind of open with your community, I've never seen a community that was like anti this, right? You know, people understand that legislation is not where it needs to be today. So you have to incorporate as something else. It's not the end of the world. 
And then the last one that I want to mention is City Dow. So this was actually the first big Dow that I was a part of. And they're a really interesting example of utilizing the Dow legislation that is out there um, to kind of spearhead one of their projects. So a guy on Twitter went viral back in, I think it was 2019, you know, who went, okay, you know, this new update of Wyoming legislation has come out. Who wants to be part of the first Dow that owns property? And so that was a crazy concept at the time. You know, there had been a lot of, I would say, um, papers, you know, research theories that had come out on how we can streamline property ownership as a Dow. You know, think of it as almost like, you know, a real estate investment model of, okay, you have 10 different investors put in money to this apartment complex that they now share as a collective from an ownership perspective and then receive the benefits that they would uh, traditionally receive from a profit standpoint of the like, you know, from the renters. Right. And so City Dow was the first organization that wanted to champion this in the sense of let's get a community together um, under the Dow Legislation Act within Wyoming and buy our first piece of property in Wyoming. And that was really, really cool to see. But one of the reasons I like to use them as an example is that when this idea came out, they didn't, they were able to crowdsource thousands of people into a discord. And this was during a bear. So this was really powerful in a lot of ways that I was like, wow, this new idea, you know, people are talking about DAOs again, you know, we could own property. That's such a phenomenal use case. So we have thousands and thousands of people in this discord almost overnight um, because this content went viral. But what was a shame is because the individual who started this conversation didn't have a background in DAOs. And once again, DAOs were so new at the time, there weren't that many actual use cases. You know, they were able to get so many people into this discord and it took us months to even decide what we wanted to do. So one of my biggest recommendations to a lot of folks that are starting DAOs is find your core contributors and your core idea before you launch it publicly or before you announce it. And, you know, you don't have to, but what we see time and time again for DAOs that launch without, let's say, more of a core idea at the beginning, what happened with city DAOs what ends up happening. You have thousands of people sharing their opinions on what to do. You have thousands, you know, tens, dozens, hundreds of polls on, you know, within Discord on should we do this versus this that it really, really slows down the potential of the DAO because there wasn't a core place to start. And so City DAO, even after months of trying to figure out what they wanted to do, once they decided the idea they wanted to do, they learned they couldn't do it because it wasn't legally allowed based off of the legislation within Wyoming. So it actually took them a year from the day the Dow launched to actually buy their first piece of property. And so, you know, it took time. It took a lot of legal support to get something of this nature to happen. But it is possible. And big ideas like this are certainly possible. You just have to be very careful with how you use the legislation today to actually allow it to run properly. Um, So, yeah, City Dow is a very, very fun one. 
Um, and so then this last use case I want to share is a bit on Unicorn DAO. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, um, and this will be the next slide, uh, Unicorn DAO is the organization that I co-founded um, with Pussy Riot. We started it about a year ago. Um, and I won't go too much into it just because we did talk about Flamingo DAO, but it was a very similar mindset that, you know, back in 2021 into 2021, there was a stat that came out that only 5% of all NFTs purchased were created by women, which is insane. <laughs> you know, back in 2021, after a huge bull with NFTs, only 5% were developed by women. And so, you know, to me and Nadia, that was obvious on, okay, what can we do immediately to help give a larger platform to both women and the larger LGBTQ plus community within Web3? And so we were like, okay, let's do kind of two things at the same time. Let's start a collector DAO where we kind of pool funds from a community of, you know, well-established people in this ecosystem. So MoonPay and put funds in, people put funds in, a lot of really great people put funds in to now invest and collect NFTs from organizations and creatives that identify as women or in the LGBTQ plus community. And that was really great. We raised about 5 million for that specific goal. Then simultaneously, what we did as well is because there's this almost nonprofit component to a lot of what we want to do, kind of community organizing component, we simultaneously as a DAO for one-off projects partner with different nonprofits to then raise community funds that go directly to whatever our kind of nonprofit counterpart is. And so an example of that this week is Sotheby's on Tuesday is doing a huge drop curated by Nadia. Um, it's auctioning off about 30 different pieces of both physical and digital art. And all of the funds raised are going towards Planned Parenthood. And it's actually the first time Planned Parenthood is accepting cryptocurrency. So Nadia and her team has worked really closely with the Planned Parenthood community, uh, Planned Parenthood team to get them set up with a wallet, et cetera. So Unicorn DAO is a really nice example of, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And we even use both the model of a collector's DAO and the kind of nonprofit DAO model within our organization. But I use it as an example because I say this time and time again, you know, there is no one DAO structure. Every DAO structure is going to look different from person to person. It really comes down to your idea and your community. Um, so moving on to the, the next slide. Um, Oh, this is just a quick, I found this while I was doing some research on just different types of DAOs. So like I said, again, you know, there are DAOs that are specifically focused on DeFi and protocol. There are DAOs focused on philanthropy and nonprofits. There are DAOs that do this collector kind of model, but with grants. There are investment DAOs, venture DAOs, you know, media DAOs. Decrypt is a great example of that. You know, there are so many different models and types of DAOs, and we are just really at the very beginning of it. So I just, you know, we'll say this until the day I die, but every DAO is different. The structure is different. The governance model is different. So you really want to spend your time learning about different DAOs, learning about the different models to figure out what structure makes the most sense for you. And because DAOs are governed by the collective, 
there's a good chance the structure will change. It likely will a year from now, two years from now, two months after launch, you know, your community may decide to focus in a specific way, go a different direction, have a different governance model, but that's okay. That's part of the DAO ecosystem. You're always going to be collectively deciding how to make the DAO better. And so, you know, how you start as a DAO might be completely different than where you are five years from now, but just remember that that's okay. And there are so many different forms that you just got to pick a place to start that makes sense for your organization and your idea. And so now in this next slide, I'm going to briefly go off the DAO legal structure. There is a lot of content here because this is one of the most common questions we get. So I really wanted to kind of put the content here and leave it here for you guys to come back to. Um, but there are really kind of five corporate DAO models that I would say we are seeing most kind of DAOs get incorporated as um, from a legislative standpoint today. Um, but first and foremost, just remember that the legal ways to form and incorporate your DAO really vary depending on the jurisdiction and local regulations. And so most DAOs that are incorporated within the U.S., you're not actually living in the state you're incorporating in. The incorporation laws are very flexible for the ones that have been put out there on where you're, you know, actually based or if you're a global company. But just remember do your own research, make sure you talk to a lawyer, make sure you talk to other kind of DAO leaders that the way you're incorporating your DAO off the get-go makes sense and is the right model. So just reading through this, the five big ones, LLC, which we've talked about, a DAO can be formed as an LLC in some jurisdictions. It just provides liability protection from the members and is a flexible structure for governance. Um, so this is the most common model you see DAO LLCs as we've talked about nine out of 10 times. Um, so just kind of be on the lookout for that. It's probably what will fit most use cases. Next one is a nonprofit corporation. So in some jurisdictions, DAO can be formed as nonprofit corps, which allows for tax-exempt status and certain legal protections. Now, this is a very, very new um, model. As we kind of talked about, both nonprofits and co-ops make a lot of sense as DAOs. Traditionally, they are formed as just a nonprofit and just a co-op. They don't have the DAO word on the end. Um, but if you work really, really closely with um, a legal team, uh, both in definitely in Delaware and I believe in Wyoming as well, there is a way to potentially get your incorporation as a nonprofit DAO. If you work correctly, if you ask your judge properly, um, it's a lot of extra steps. So for both nonprofits and co-ops, my go-to recommendation for you guys is to just incorporate it as a plain nonprofit, a plain co-op, and then put that kind of DAO layer over it. But work towards incorporating it officially as a DAO nonprofit, as a DAO co-op. The next one is a foundation. This is relatively new as well. Um, we're starting to see jurisdictions that allow DAOs to be formed as foundations. So essentially legal entities that typically operate for charitable, educational, and other public benefit purposes. Um, as you can see, there's a very common theme here in the types of DAOs that are allowed. 
Um, so this is definitely one of them. And then the last one is a trust. So TALs can actually be formed as trust. We've started to see that quite commonly with real estate related DAOs. Um, and it provides legal protection and flexibility and governance itself. Um, so those are kind of the five typical different ways I would recommend you guys incorporate and are the most popular kind of models. Um, so the last slide that I have today to just chat through are the biggest problems with DAOs. I always like to touch on this because, you know, DAOs sound great in theory. They're a little utopia, right? Um, but realistically, there are a lot of problems with them. I've definitely faced quite a few in my many organizations. Um, so just want to kind of run through those with you guys real quick. So first, regulatory uncertainty. By and far, the uh, biggest problem with DAOs, as we've discussed, it's getting better. But just know your ability to run a DAO does not stop here, but you just need to be very mindful, cautious, and ensure you have the right legal team before moving forward. Uh, the next one is the technical complexity, which we've gone through because this is such a new ecosystem. You know, we're like at the beginning stages of the internet back in 2000, right? So because it is a little more difficult than normal to use this tech today. DAOs themselves have a lot of complexity towards, you know, building and launching multi-sigs to actually creating your first community wallet, etc. So because there's no one right size fit all and two already existing kind of steps and opportunities for DAOs to form, you see a lot of technical complexity and having a good dev team or organization that you can work with to help build out the governance tools of the DAO is really, really important at the beginning stages. Um, next, scalability. Uh, you know, the end goal of DAOs is to, you know, scale globally. There has all the opportunities to because everything can happen remotely, you know, that's one of the biggest perks. But from a governance perspective, it's much harder to scale, right? You know, getting community members from across the globe to all vote on the same thing, it's no easy feat. It definitely can be done, but it's one of the bigger challenges. The governance and the scalability really goes hand in hand, right? And, you know, DAOs are designed to be decentralized and community driven, but this can create challenges around decision making and conflict resolution, as well as the potential for malicious actors to manipulate the system. For example, the DAO hack. Um, and then, of course, there are always financial risks associated. So always, always, always do your own research from a security perspective. Make sure you understand if you are utilizing tokens, how or how not they're not going to be regulated by the SEC. You know, how you incorporate as a DAO will tell you your financial risks and will tell you what you are allowed to do and not allowed to do with your tokens and when you need to um, potentially go through the SEC to regulate them properly. Um, so it's really important to kind of do that deep dive before you launch a DAO. And then, you know, the last um, kind of point, I guess the last slide I have here is the future of DAOs, so where um, DAOs are going. You know, I definitely want to emphasize with everyone that we're really at the beginning stages, right? We're so new when it comes to DAOs. 
So at the end of the day, you know, what you see today is just the very, very beginning. And so for anyone that, you know, wants to start a DAO, I just encourage you to find those community members within your ecosystem to really help you get it going and come with that core idea, that core model from a governance perspective, a tokenomics perspective, find your DAO leaders Um, see what they think, you know, find other individuals that have been really successful in the industry. um, And then, you know, allow them to help teach you on what your DAO could look like, how it could be shaped. Um, Allow the community members to put, give you input in your initial DAO structure, but, you know, have that kind of working thesis of your DAO before you launch it. Um, But, you know, once again, we're just in the beginning phases. It's such a beautiful kind of use case of all things blockchain and how we can streamline this tech to really um, create beneficial opportunities to DAOs at large or to the ecosystem at large. And, you know, if you're thinking about starting a DAO, you know, I would definitely encourage you and, you know, do your own research, as I'll keep saying. But, you know, I definitely think at the end of the day, so many organizations are going to be benefit benefit so greatly from this because it does allow for a much more equitable ecosystem. It allows for the community to decide where funds go, how they get there, how the organization is operated rather than leaving it to one person or a set of people. And that at the end of the day um, is what I care about the most. It's giving more opportunities to the community and allowing the community to decide the future of an organization, et cetera, rather than one person. Um, So yeah, so that's all things DAOs. Uh, I hope uh, I didn't bore you and Definitely for the larger community, feel free to reach out to me um, in general. And yeah, any other, uh, you know, I had one additional slide, which is kind of questions on tokenomics and other aspects of DAOs if we want to get into that. But I also know we're at an hour. So whatever you think, Mikey, makes sense. If you're able to keep going, we will keep going. My brain is lit up with a ton of questions around it. I think my experience is is sort of small and limited and and kind of like in my my opinion a little bit charming in that the first NFT I was ever gifted was a Goop Troop. The Goop Troop it was a 10,000 PFP of a nouns DAO and then the proceeds purchased a noun that then goes and participates as a vote in the larger ecosystem. So there's, it's like a nested voting structure to vote on what the noun will do that then the noun votes on a larger um, set of would be proposals that come through on a daily, weekly basis. I have questions um, into like kind of three larger buckets along the, the research line. Um, for our community, we've had a ton of interest in how people can get more involved in Web3. And so this feels like a subset of like, how do you get involved and what are DAOs looking for in general, other than like the broad, like be a good community member, um, kind of the jobs to be done in DAOs that are kind of easy to pick up and then um, add value and contribution. What are your thoughts there? Yes, certainly. 
Um, so one of the first things I say in general to this question is I believe the most successful DAOs are the ones that allow community members to enter and exit the DAO as their time allows them. You know, any DAO will successfully operate that is run by the community, right, governed by the community. But realistically, unless the DAO hires them from a full-time perspective, which a lot of DAOs do, a lot of DAOs will collectively decide we need to hire these five people, you know, they get the final applicants and then they vote as a collective whether or not to employ them, right? But for most folks, you know, this is almost like a hobby for them or a side gig or something they're very passionate about that they don't feel the need to be their full-time job. And so in that manner, you know, the most successful DAOs, in my opinion, are the ones that allow these types of community members to enter and exit DAOs at ease. You know, they don't depend on the individual member to make or break what the DAO is doing, but they provide a lot of opportunities for community members to be involved as they would like to. And so I would say, you know, from DAO to DAO, it really varies on the kind of opportunities associated. You know, it could be anything from social media marketing to running an activation to just being kind of on the grounds at a community event to being a kind of Discord mod that, you know, any role you see in a traditional organization could be in a DAO, right? So what my biggest recommendation is to folks is that, one, before you start a DAO, make sure you're involved in a DAO. You know, it's a great, as you were saying, first way to get involved in the larger Web3 ecosystem. And I think DAOs are such a beautiful way to connect with other people within the larger ecosystem and find opportunities to put your skills to work. You know, I say to a lot of folks, you know, that are new to this space, you know, get involved in the space for six months, join some DAOs, be active on Twitter, learn as much as you can. And usually by the end of it, you'll have a full-time job offer somewhere, you know? So there's just, you know, when it comes to DAOs, I encourage you to find ones that you just resonate with you, you find really interesting, you like their long-term mission and goals, and then jump into their Discord, jump into their Telegram, follow them on Twitter. And that is where you'll see the opportunities start to pop up. But very rarely do you have someone coming up to you as an individual saying, please do marketing for us. You know, if you want to be involved in a DAO, you have to find those opportunities yourself. You need to be there so that when they go, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we have a videographer? You go, oh, I actually live in L.A. and I'd be happy to do that. You know, DAOs, because they're run by collectives, you just don't see as much um, individual requests as you see kind of opportunities for the larger ecosystem and you kind of put your name out there first as, you know, I can do this, I can handle this. And that's how you build your resume as well, right? That's how you build your resume within Web3. DAOs are such a fantastic way to kind of start that. And we see with a lot of these NFT communities now, they're launching DAOs. So that's definitely kind of, I would encourage you to find DAOs that you're passionate about, that resonate with you, just get involved in those conversations. And I have no doubt you'll find ways that you as an individual can be involved. 100%. I think a way that I've thought about it and have participated myself is no one is going to ask directly. But if you see something and you can set aside the time and put it forward, 
and be open to the feedback that maybe it's not ideally what is necessary, but the community can help steer it. Uh, there's a ton of value in being able to put something into the world that you get a lot of great smart folks looking at and then can refine it and iterate it further. And there's a lot of examples, I think, of that. Switching gears slightly, we have a question of like, is there a situation in which a startup should definitely not form a DAO? And I guess like the overall question is like, when to DAO versus when not to DAO? And do you have an opinion on that currently? Is it your, your default is like, yeah, have one? Or is it, I mean, with the caveat of do your own research? Or is it like, no, no, you really have to go through a framework to decide? Yeah, I, I would say first, first and foremost, the question is, can collective decision making help this organization run at the end of the day? That's the first question I would ask anyone who's considering starting a DAO. And the reason I start with that as well is, you know, that's the core thought process behind decentralized governance. It's a community making decisions um, and then programming them in a way that they happen autonomously. And so for a lot of folks, you know, in my opinion, you can launch that model with almost any organization, right? Some people wouldn't agree, but from, you know, my mindset, the collective is almost always superior to the individual from a decision-making power. But you as a kind of startup founder, if you don't feel that's what's going to farther your organization and your idea and your startup, right off the gate, I'm going to say probably DAOs are not the right model for you. But if you are comfortable with this idea of a community deciding where the organization goes and how it's going to run as a collective, then I think that's correct. That's the first step. Then kind of as you're saying, the the next thing I would encourage anyone to do that is wanting to start a DAO is yes, do your research, but two, start to practically think about what does this model look like and can I legally do it today based off of regulations? So when I say do your own research, it's really not only doing your own research on DAOs at large, but it's your specific model and idea. You know, how do you make this happen practically? You know, what is the incorporation model that makes sense for your DAO to run properly? And like I said before, you do not have to incorporate as a DAO. You can incorporate as a different type of entity, but still have like DAO be the top layer for now if you can't incorporate it properly. But that would be kind of the next step is, you know, make sure you as an individual feel comfortable enough with how DAOs work that you feel you can launch a DAO in itself and that you understand the model you're starting with as a DAO, it'll probably change as we've talked about from a governance perspective, but having that core model in place um, for your community to utilize right off the get-go is going to be really, really important for the success of the DAO. So those are kind of the key things that I personally recommend for anyone to think about or keep in mind before launching a DAO, because nothing makes me sadder than like a DAO that is a fantastic idea getting launched, but not having any direction or having the right community or resources and then just 
failing or for city Dow, for example, taking a year to get anywhere. Um, Cause those are going to be your biggest roadblocks. So make sure you spend that time and energy just like you would before you pitch to investors, right. On what this organization looks like, how you're going to make it happen, who the key people are at the beginning and what that governance protocol in your mind realistically looks like from day one. What comes to mind for how you mentioned experimentation is a really important piece of it. And just from my own observations of watching lots of DAOs kind of form organically, the concept of a sub DAO and or kind of you have a group of folks that are focused on a specific area and sort of nested under a larger function seems to be a really earnest way to work out a lot of kinks, minimize your own risk, actively move some things forward. And I think to the point you made about Wyoming and the city DAO, like for a startup, every second counts. And so you have to kind of strike this balance where you can bifurcate your org to be like things that are not necessarily as critical to make a very timely decision can live in one space and things that are like, they just have to get acted upon and kind of be a benevolent dictator of sorts can live in a separate area. What are the starting points that you are seeing most commonly in that framework that are nice and like, I wouldn't say like too safe, but are kind of a proven path for what you would start in a, as a subsection of a larger organization. That's like, this is the Dow part. I love that. And that's a really great point that I didn't necessarily bring up in my um, models or examples. But a lot of the time, too, when I say, you know, incorporate as a different corporation and then you have your DAO layer on top. Another option is you have a fully functioning corporate corporation, LLC, et cetera. And then you have smaller DAOs or a single DAO for a very specific focus. You know, a great example of that is Bright Moments, right? Bright Moments started with this concept of, you know, crypto Venetians. They started launching these crypto Venetians in many cities and they were like, okay, everyone that holds a crypto Venetian is now going to be a part of the Bright Moments DAO that decides which cities we go to next and a handful of other things, right? That's a fantastic example of a company that's running really successfully within the Web3 ecosystem, but then has a kind of subsector DAO for their community for specific XYZ things. Um, I think kind of the model of sub DAOs is such a fantastic way, as you say, in use case to be able to try it out with less risk, right? You still have the company operating as you see fit. You know, there are even organizations and really well-established Web3 companies today that are doing just this. They're starting to launch their community DAO, et cetera, or other things. And so I think from like a sub DAO perspective, the biggest thing is, you know, figuring out, you know, what you want your community to decide versus the company, right? What is in the power of the company's hands versus the community's hands? Um, And then how much power and control do you give to the community at the end of the day? You know, this is part of the reason why, you know, I keep saying it, it's great to have a model off of the, the very initial start of whatever the DAO may be forming. And so especially when you're a company that's already existing, that's kind of launching the subsector DAO, uh, you definitely want to have kind of a specific idea and how much money should go behind it and how much governance goes behind it. But I do think a lot of um, 
Web3 companies, they are launching like incubator DAO equivalents. Like that's a very, very popular model that we're seeing today um, from a sub DAO perspective is, okay, um, you know, we're going to invest in 50 companies a year rather than consensus deciding this, we're going to allow the consensus DAO. Consensus DAO, to be clear, does not exist, but this is an example of something that I could see practically happening, right? Or maybe it's a nonprofit organization and they want to host a big kind of, you know, NFT competition. You know, everyone that submits an NFT pays $100 and all of this money raised goes to the nonprofit DAO that decides how it's allocated. You know, usually for these subsector DAO communities, it's a figuring out a DAO model that is in vain with the larger organization. It is a similar kind of mindset, goals, mission, but it's putting a chunk of capital and allowing the community to decide how to allocate it rather than the top-down structure as we've discussed. But what's really beautiful about that and often works really well is then you have the typical corporation to maybe handle the operations and the logistics and the dev requirements towards anything that might be voted and decided upon within the DAO. Um, so I definitely like I, I would say for a lot of corporations, it's a really smart model if you're trying to figure out how to dip your toe in and maybe you have an idea, maybe this idea could be the company in five, 10 years from now, but you want to test it out first, you know, work out the kinks before you scale it in any regard. And I think definitely the sub down model is a great, great, great way to do that. Switching gears like slightly. Um, it feels like you talked about the DAO hack of 2016. And I and I believe that was kind of like an unintended consequence that came home to roost. And we've had a lot of time since then to kind of explore and experiment. Are there, in your estimation, kind of common pitfalls that arise very easily? And then in terms of like a detailed plan, how do you steer people to arrive at Avoiding those unintended consequences and also like how you develop and communicate what is effectively a game out in time with a fixed amount of resources. Like, what's What have you seen most commonly since then? Yeah, that's great. Um, I would say number one biggest pitfall beyond launching too early, kind of as we've talked about, like that's a big pitfall. It's just not having kind of your ducks in an order. But you know, let's say you have your ducks in an order, right? I would say the most common pitfall we see day one is not having enough people vote from a governance perspective. That is a very, very common problem we'll see is that, you know, you'll have 10, 100, 1,000 members, whatever it may be, but only 10% of them are voting at the end of the day. And so if that's what's occurring, one, you know, it really makes you look at your DAO and go, why is it such a small voting rate? And two, sometimes it can prevent governance from passing because some people will put into their governance policies and protocols that they need 25% of all token holding members to vote. So this is like, in my opinion, kind of day one problem if you're able to get past legislation concerns and the governance itself you know this is something that we see happen a lot and that's why you know one of the favorite 
kind of solutions that I've seen start to pop up is delegating votes. I think this is a fantastic idea and it makes sense on chain, right? So you have 100 members, only 10% of them are voting. You know, what you can then do, and actually UnicornDAO is a great example of this. Um, So we, for example, have a lot of really big names that put funding into UnicornDAO and became UnicornDAO members. As a result, they don't really care about the day to day. You know, they are not going to be, Beeple is not going to be voting every day on our Discord on which NFTs to buy. He's got other things going on, right? And so as a result, you know, for the first, um, the last six months, I would say, especially with the bear, we're seeing maybe at best a 30% voting rate. So it's pretty small. Sometimes it's a small five to 10%. So something that we're working as a collective now to do is delegating votes. And I love this model, right? You basically find other vote holding members or voting members and you're like, I trust you, Mikey, I'm going to send you all 10 votes of mine because I know we're aligned. You do not actually own them. You know, the tech should be built in a way that you can send the tokens. So you're truly delegating them. You're not giving them to you. Um, But then what you see happening is the community is still happening because the person they want to vote is still like voting in the same manner. Um, But as a result, for folks that may not be as active, they then are able to either bring someone new in that will vote on behalf of them or delegate to other folks. So that's one of the like biggest recommendations I have for like pitfall day one that I've seen time and time again is the voting concern. And the the second thing that I would add to that as well is that, you know, beyond delegating, just looking back at how the DAO operates and making sure it's really accessible to your members is going to be really important. You know, a really common voting model we've started to see pop up is emoji consensus, which I absolutely love. It's a way to pass legislation really quick or way to pass kind of DAO protocols really quickly within a DAO without having to submit an official proposal. Right. You know, we can say, oh, we want to bid on this Claire Silver piece. We're willing to bid up to 20 ETH. Vote yes in favor. Thumbs up in favor. Thumbs down. Not in favor. Right. So this is an example now. of okay, you know, we're all on Discord most days. It's really easy for us to just click the thumbs up button. We don't have to take a call. We don't have to go through a process, a proposal. So, you know, really kind of looking at your voting and governance model and making sure, okay, is this actually easy for our members to use? Is it accessible? Is it achievable, et cetera? Because if it's not, that's obviously only going to hurt kind of the governance associated. And then the second biggest pitfall, I would say, among kind of community, you know, activation in governance is compensation. That's a really, really big one you see right now, is that a lot of these DAOs are fully operating off of people's free labor. Um, That for me is a big problem personally. There are a lot of folks that don't see that as a concern if they're more financially well off or have done really well in the Web3 bulls. And it is something that I think actually the ecosystem as itself really kind of, you know, clashes heads about. Um, But realistically, for a lot of DAOs who are not necessarily operated by the, you know, whales of Web3, you know, struggle with figuring out how much time as I, an individual, can put into this DAO if I'm not going to be compensated. And people have different philosophies and theories. Like me and Aaron Reich don't agree on this, right? Aaron, his thought process is, 
a DAO should be 100% autonomous. It should not depend on a handful of people to operate it. So as a collective, any decisions that are happening, you know, it just happens as a collective. And that's good in theory, but realistically, a lot of DAOs are still going to require five to 10 people to run the day-to-day logistics, especially if there's not an already existing business or operating company, as we've talked about, that can handle that. And so, you know, one of the things that I really encourage core DAO members when you're getting the DAO ready, like put together is thinking about, okay, one, how are we going to raise funds if we intend to be compensated for our time? And two, how do you decide as a collective who gets compensated and how much? You know, one of the great ways is a mix of compensation and DAO tokens, in addition to currency based off of what they've raised. Another great example is, you know, voting on allocating hours to specific members. You know, Rebecca's going to go work for a max of 30 hours at $100 an hour, whatever it may be. I track my hours, I send it to the DAO, and then they pay me via, you know, uh, the wallet and the transactions already occurring by the multi-sig. So this is something that I really request people to be mindful of when they're starting the DAO is like, okay, it doesn't have to be the core DAO members that end up getting compensated or working, you know, in a larger capacity. But if you're finding that maybe you're not having as many DAO members active as you would like, perhaps it reflects on what you're asking DAO members to do, the compensation associated and whether or not it's worth people's time. You know, realistically, you can't run a company on the backs of free labor at the end of the day. And uh, especially for DAO founders, you see a lot of them get burnt out because they're not being compensated in the way they should be. So there's definitely no right answer there, but that is a huge, huge pitfall we see with a lot of DAOs today because the ecosystem is so new and there's not already like systems in place, right? And so that's just something that I really recommend kind of right off the gate, you know, be mindful of this, think about it and think about who you would compensate and how you think it would be fair to from a governance perspective. Because another option would be, okay, we trust Mikey and Pop CPG DAO. We're going to allocate a hundred grant, a hundred thousand dollars to him to disperse among potential team members. Like that's that's a completely fair option. You know, there's so many different models on how you can actually compensate people for their time. It's just making sure you have it in place and it's clear to the community, so they're being rewarded for the energy that they're putting into the organization. There are interesting dynamics that come to play with the free versus paid. I 100% agree with you that you need to have a very clear plan and that maybe for a fixed amount of time, you can have some goodwill come forward for people to establish themselves. But a payment and compensation structure, whatever the compensation is, probably needs to be well understood ahead of time. I think the thing that piqued my interest about this is, again, being kind of adjacent to being active in the nouns DAO. The nouns famously late last year shut down their discord. And it was a reason that was the folks that were running the discord were paying for the discord. They were, it was not necessarily an officially sanctioned place, but sort of formed organically, but they were having outsized influence on decision-making because of that kind of dynamic. 
And so it's it's a really interesting case of like, well, they were giving away, giving away their their time and their resources, but they were getting back this level of influence. And so I think when you start to think about DAOs and the game, there is like, and I don't want to say sound um, negative in this sense, because I think power dynamics are things that exist, but there has to be some consideration of who holds power and how is that power executed? And I think to your point of the unicorn DAO and being very much leaning into um, equitable outcomes, I think it's really fascinating to understand and think about that and put pen to paper on it of like, Hey, this is the structure that we want. And this is where we want things to flow. And that's what I think the DAO, like you had said, the, the beautiful way of like, the dream of what happens with DAOs really comes to be practical and for people to get involved in a very lightweight sense. I love emoji that DAO voting. I think people could probably come in and hit the like button on stuff though for his own. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get him in more. He's going to well, hear this now and go, I got to go make get sure we tag him in the, the social and be like, Discord. did you know? Doesn't even have the time to hit the thumbs up or thumbs down. No, um, that's not that's not what we'll do. If there's anything we haven't covered, please let's let's wrap this up. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. This genius call to me is like exactly what we need for expanding the minds of folks and and getting the information that's critical into the hands of these Web three folks that are super passionate. So with that, the, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, no really final words, redows. I think I definitely dove right into quite a few important aspects of it. I would just say you guys can definitely follow me on social media at Rebecca Lamis. Uh, it's just my name. I am very, very open to talking to people about DAOs at large. Um, I do consult and the way I consult is um, based on what you can afford. And so if you are just interested in chatting a little bit, seeing kind of what kind of opportunities there are, who you should connect with, who you should look at, you know, feel free to reach out to me, you know, free of charge. I always want to share the resources and opportunities that I know of with the larger community about DAOs. Because, you know, there's just so much information out there. It's hard to kind of get through in these beginning stages. So yeah, definitely don't feel, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me if you you want to chat through an idea and if you want to consult in a larger manner, I'm always around. Um, but yeah, and definitely, and then Unicorn Dow is Unicorn Dow um, underscore XXX. So definitely feel free to follow along with a lot of what we're working on there. Uh, but yeah, super grateful for this time. Uh, it's Dow's all the way down, baby. That's what I say. Uh, so definitely love sharing a bit more about my time in this ecosystem. And I really appreciate you having me on, Mikey. And that's where we have to end it for today. If you want to check out the full Q&A and learn more about joining Club CPG, visit CryptoPackageGoods.com. Thanks to all our CPG and POP members for making these kinds of events possible. Crypto Podcast Goods is produced by Genius Media, a division of Crypto Package Goods.